welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Steph Fairbairn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. In this episode, we speak to Ben Kahn, head coach at Olympic FC in Australia's second tier. Ben began playing football at a young age in London, going on to spend some time at clubs including Fulham and Crystal Palace. At 21, with two coaching badges under his belt, he moved to Australia and a few years later made the decision to really pursue coaching. After roles in the youth game and as an assistant coach, Ben has found his level as a head coach and last season led Olympic to the National Premier League's final series. I caught up with Ben to talk about his football journey, opportunities for coaches in Australia and the buzz surrounding him as a coach. Ben, welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I wanted to start with with a bit about you. Could you tell us a bit about your football journey? Yeah, look, I uh, grew up in, in London and like like most most young boys growing up in London, you wanted to be a footballer and, uh, you, know, you know, it was my whole life. So I played from probably five years old um, and uh, yeah, had, a, had an interesting journey. Um, played around uh, in a few local teams, Corinthian Casuals, Motspur Park, um, ended up at uh, Fulham and then Crystal Palace for a small period um, and then, then kind of did, the, uh, and did the, the very quick dance around the lower leagues without any real success and um, took an interest in coaching uh, pretty early, you know, around, um, around that 18, 19 mark, just, you know, just school holiday programs and that type of thing. Um, And moved out here at 21. Um, Mum's Australian, dad's English, so, you know, I was fortunate enough to have that Australian passport. Uh, Moved out here at 21 and, and, you know, I was coaching and and playing. But the the, the coaching journey really took over and um, opportunities started to present themselves. And at about 27, I had to make the decision whether to continue playing uh, or, or give it up, and I did. So I've been, yeah, I've been, um, haven't played since I was 27, nearly 34 now. But yeah, wouldn't wouldn't have changed it. It's been a, been an incredible journey for me. So I know you know you've just said you've got the passport, but what? I guess you could have stayed in the UK and progressed with coaching there. So what was it about Australia that that drew you to want to coach there? Um, at at about at that age, I went on um, a trip around the world: India, China, Thailand. Halfway through was Australia to see mum and dad, um, and uh, yeah, I didn't make it anywhere else. <laughs> so, came out here for I think it was supposed to be for three weeks, and and that was it. I didn't I didn't leave the country for five years. <laughs> so it's just it's hard to explain. Um, it's just a completely different lifestyle, and I you know I'd had a had a difficult time in in terms of finding a football career back in England at that point, and I was a bit down and. Uh, ended up playing here actually for a team in the, in the third, which is now the fourth or fifth tier. Uh, now that they've expanded the system, and um, absolutely just loved it. Found my love for the game. Found found people that I connected with. Um, captained and coached that team over a period of eight years, and then uh, and then moved on. So, what does it look like? In Australia, I guess, what's the football structure like? What's the youth setup, and what opportunities are there for coaches? 
I mean, look, there's plenty of opportunity, but limited opportunity to to really to really get in and get full time and, and have a have a good career. Um, there's obviously the A League that's sat on top, um, which is 12 clubs. And so, we, you know, with that, there's, you know, within the within the A leagues, most clubs now have a, a men's team and a women's team. Uh, most have a men's academy um, structure, um, and obviously, the women's game here is is on a on a big growth spiral with the World Cup coming here next year. Um, but the the A leagues aren't connected uh, to the to the rest of the pyramid. So, I. Um, I currently work in the the next tier down, which is the MPL, the National Premier Leagues, which are state-based competitions. So each state has their National Premier League competition, um, and those clubs are there are some really, really, really strong clubs and very historical clubs that have been in the top tier of Australian football for a long time. But the gap's big. There are also some clubs that are, you know. <laughs> very basic in their resources and structure. So there's a, there's, there's some big gaps there to fill. Uh, so in Queensland, where I live and, and work, um, we we are connected to all the tiers throughout the game in the state. Um, so we can we can get relegation. I think there's I think there's QPR one, two, three, four, five, and six. So there's a you know there's a large pyramid now in Queensland, uh, which is great. Gives the ambitious clubs um, chance to, you know, something to aspire towards, and keeps keeps the rest of us on our toes. You know, we're lucky enough to be be one of the bigger clubs in the state, and we're we're always knocking around up the top. But um, certainly, don't want to take our foot off the gas with, with with the threat of relegation there. And it's a big topic of debate in Australia. Uh, no no relegation from the A League. Um, you know, it really limits opportunity for players, coaches, clubs staff administrators uh, so you know there's a it's a very divi- divided um, divided discussion I think some people just don't believe it will work with the geography and the, 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 the lack of finances in the game over here but there are those that are a bit more traditional that are desperate to see it happen and believe that if you if you put it out there then then the, you know that the finances and the interest in the game will come so um, now, I, I personally, from a, from a coach's point of view, you know, an ambitious coach, I want to see it. I want to see that the A League connect to the rest of the game and, and give us opportunities to to find our way there through promotion. I'm going to come back to the A League in a bit, but just just touching a bit on the youth setup. Obviously, every yeah. I guess every country, every football association or federation has its kind of DNA and its beliefs about the way. You know, we should be teaching kids football. What does that look like in Australia? Look, another another divided topic. Actually, um, we we had a national curriculum that was introduced um, maybe ten years ago. Um, it was introduced by a Dutch technical director at the time. So, uh, you know, it was very much based on on research done on on the sort of top performing nations of the time. You know, Germany, Holland. Um, Spain, uh, with a with a very large Dutch influence, um, that there are the Australian traditionalists that really took a disliking to that, and um, you know thought that was was not us and it wasn't in our DNA, um, and and there are those that, that really embraced it, and I think I sit somewhere in the middle. I think that the the general quality when you go when you have a walk around the kind of local pitches on a Sunday morning, I don't think the quality of coach or player 
was there. And I think the national curriculum has brought an alignment to the, the sort of grassroots of the game and, and the, 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 the youth um, level on the broader scale. Um, but I also think it was largely misinterpreted and, and over-implemented at levels where there were actually some really good coaches and players and there was probably a bit more room for creativity. So kind of 10 years down the track, we're at a point where, you know, the players now starting to come into the national team um, and, and, you know, emerging in the A-League have all been through the national curriculum, um, partially due to COVID and partially due to where the league's at at the moment. And that, that there are more young Australian players in the league than ever before. So, you know, there's an argument that the national curriculum was good, um, but... Australia was, you know, we, you know, we're, we're often reminded about the golden generation, the Harry Kills, Mark Viduka, Bresciano's, Grellas, those guys, Brett Emerton, uh, and, and we probably don't have a, a, a world-class footballer in, in our national team at the moment. Um, there are there are lots of reasons that you can delve into for that. You know, if you look at the Premier League, for example. Um, when when those guys were coming through, there were there were different restrictions on foreign players and players from outside the EU. Um, you know now there's a, an emergence of lots of African players, and it, it, there's less space for Australian players to come in and dominate. So I'm not sure that the level's any worse. I just think the opportunities across the world maybe have, or the, you know the, the level in Europe has increased so much, and, and you know there's more players now from more nations in the Premier League, for example. It's harder for for Australian players to, to get in. So, well, look, it's uh, <laughs> in terms of the youth structure, I th- we've got a long way to go, regardless of whether the national curriculum was implemented or not. Um, you know, we we there's there's still space for huge improvement. Is is my take on it? What about fan culture as well? What's what's the kind of fan vibe out in Australia? The big clubs, Melbourne Victory, Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers, uh, huge, huge fan bases. Um, you know, not unusual to go, you know, to see a Melbourne derby somewhere between 30 and 60,000. Um, but, you know, you, then there are uh, your smaller clubs in the A League where you can have around the thousand mark. Um, and then at our level, our home game, home games. If we play a smaller team, you know we can be around the 500 mark. If we have a bigger game, we can be around the 3,000 mark. So, look, I think there's, I think there's good fan culture. I think the, I think it's obviously limited in broader society. I don't think it's a, it's certainly not the national game, and it certainly doesn't doesn't capture the interest of the whole nation. But I think the, that the people that our football people are very invested and there's a really strong football culture here and and they uh, it's a small community but it's it's very passionate and very knowledgeable um i think there are some some other sort of hotly debated topics um games are quite over policed and there's you know i guess football fan culture isn't isn't necessarily what the australian public are used to in in, in their you know more dominant sports from rugby league and AFL, so it comes under a bit of bad press sometimes. Um, but look, I think I think there's an interest there. I think the A League and uh, it has a has a massive responsibility to now try and try and grow the game and increase crowds and and reach the broader society. Um, and, and you know that's I guess that's something that's been 
they've been trying to achieve for a long time. So how that happens, I don't know. My, my, I still think the best bet is to connect the connect the football pyramid, um, engage the. So a lot of the traditional clubs that were in the old National Soccer League um, are clubs of of different heritage. So for example, I, I work for a Greek club, um, and and really those those European immigrant countries and and clubs are really the um, I think the backbone of football culture in Australia. So they they were kind of excluded with the um, with the start up of the A League um, because obviously that brought you know they brought some tensions within the game that weren't weren't welcomed. Um, but I think the key is probably to to reinvolve those those um, clubs with cultural heritage and reengage their fan base and those those um, European immigrant communities around the country. So I want to talk a bit more about you and your qualifications. Now, l- let me get this right. So you got your A license under the Football Federation Australia and your pro yeah. diploma under the Korea Football Association. Did I get that Correct. right? Yeah. 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 So I guess, how did that, how did that come about for you to get the pro license that way? And what did the processes differ on, under the different bodies and was the approach very different? Yeah, very much so. Um, I did. I did um, my old FA level two back in England before I left. Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't um, by the time I was here and coaching properly and trying to get jobs, it was a bit loosely recognised. So I did my C license, B license, A license out here. Um, the C and B were very much driven towards the national curriculum and and the the FA's philosophy. Um, the A license was we were allowed a bit more freedom. Uh, it was it was um, it was a while ago, so I'm I'm a bit uh, it lost my memories a bit of it. But it was yeah, pretty straightforward and um, kind of kind of got ticked off. But I um, the pro license had had some trouble here, hadn't been run for a couple of years. Uh, not quite sure if it was financial, if it was a turnaround of staff, if it was. Um, I think there were some complications with the last one they ran. So I, I, I was at Central Coast Mariners in the A-League at the time. Um, I was head of the, the youth team there and working as an assistant coach in the first team. Uh, I really, really wanted my pro license at that time. I didn't have children at the time. Uh, I thought it was a good time to really delve in and get it. The FA uh, couldn't guarantee start dates or costs or uh, criteria, although they were planning to, to hold a new license. So I... Um, I explored some options in in Asia and thought it would be a really good chance to go and expand my network and expand my knowledge and experience, um, not just in football terms, but experience something different culturally. Um, So I I ended up being accepted onto the Korean pro license. Uh, I think I was the the first foreigner they've taken in. Um, It was... uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience, actually. um, It wasn't easy. It was uncomfortable. you know, I had to have a translator for most of most of the course. I was the only English-speaking person in the room most of the time. Uh, the course was actually presented in English. Uh, the instructor was German, and he presented in English, but then it was um, translated into Korean. Uh, his English actually wasn't great, so the guy who then his his assistant, who was Korean, would kind of co-present in Korean. So they got <laughs> really a really articulate version i got a kind of <laughs> broken english german version <laughs> but um 
yeah, it was a brilliant experience and it was the first time I've ever had to put a session on using a translator uh, and all the group work was really difficult because they would fly through and, you know, take by the time it was translated to me and my input was there, they'd moved on and it was really, really, really very much out of my comfort zone and a uh, huge growth experience, but I, I absolutely loved it. I loved the country, um, made, made friends there, you know, the two translators and couple of the other coaches we, we you know we still keep in touch regularly and, and I'm sure we'll we'll run into each other in our journeys again. So thinking about you as a coach now obviously you've kind of got your I guess foundation experiences in the UK you've got your experiences in Australia your experiences in Korea what parts have you taken from all of those to make you the coach you are today? I think it's. Uh, I think it's. I was talking about this with someone the other day. You know, who who are we as coaches, and why do we become who we are, and why do our teams look like they look? And I think you have to delve right back into your earliest kind of earliest childhood memories of playing football. And and once you kind of, once you go into that, you know, I, I grew up playing in in South London, and we we played a lot of street football, and I played a lot in the playground, and just really really loved loved. Um, Loved getting on the ball and being creative and running at players, and you know, re- really loved those tight areas. And I, I look at my teams now, and I, uh, you know, I really, really encourage. I know that most coaches around the world will say the same, but we've developed a really healthy reputation statistically, and through the, you know, through the football public year of playing a really attractive and aesthetically pleasing brand of football. I think it's a. I think we have a responsibility as coaches to do that. Um, it's not in my nature to turn up and, and, and defend for 90 minutes and try and get a 1-0 or a draw. Uh, I, I always sign really, really good attacking technical players. Uh, we work really hard with them to, to, to round out their game so they can be effective for the team and, and, uh, and defend, you know, defend effectively and, and um, you know, make sure that their, their defensive output and work rate is where it needs to be. But... Uh, it, I, I guess I, I look through my whole journey and I look at the ups and downs. I, you know, I fell short of a playing career, so I, um, I, I, I guess something I look back at is I, I lacked a mentor at that time. I lacked a coach or a, you know, a, a, an older brother or a, someone, somebody who had been on that journey and, and succeeded to have sort of put their arm around me and go, look, you're on the right track. Take the knock and move on. Um, I took things really personally, and I took failure really um, finally. You know, so uh, I've, I've been really conscious over the years. Obviously, my, I started here working with kids, and I've been really, um, really mindful of trying to help them on their journey and help them accept failure and, and use that to grow. Uh, I've seen boys around the similar age where it stopped working out for me, and I've really pushed them through that that kind of tough age for for young men where other distractions come into play. Um, maybe the opportunities are starting to slim down, but you see there's something in that player. So if they still want it, we've really tried to help them help them kick on. So I think you just take parts of, I think it's important to reflect on your own journey and, and really ask what, what did I want from a coach at that point? And what, you know, what did I want as a player at that point? What did I need? And we, we, we do that as a staff regularly. We, you know, we reflect a lot on, on, you know, or, or we, we, as we're planning for sessions, we often ask, "What would, what do the players need right now? What does this particular player need this week? You know, what does the team need from us this week? And how do we, how do we make the environment as conducive to their development and and kind of mental state as it needs to be?" Um, but 
yeah, I think I think really I'm really passionate about how how we how we play and uh, how we control games and, and and what the team looks like for anybody tuning in for five minutes. I want them to be able to see a really clear a really clear identity and picture of, of what we represent. And it's my belief that the the team represents me and, and I represent the team. So. I guess on the point as well about you know what you went through with with your football career and do you think there's still a lot of room for us to work on supporting young players as they go through those journeys I guess wherever they are in the world because you know it's I imagine it's tough getting that far and then not quite making it do we need to put in more help around that? Massively, and look, I can't speak for the um, the English academy system at the moment because it's been a long time since I've been involved, and I, I speak to people involved at the moment, and there seems to be, you know, huge progress made in that area. I don't know if we're where we need to be. I don't know if all clubs are in the same boat, but I know there are some really good clubs and coaches and, and uh, organisations that are doing things at a really high level to to look after young young players. Um, I would say here. We're still trying to catch up in in terms of the football side of things, the methodology, the professionalism. Um, so we, we we're not quite resourced enough as well to, to you know to necessarily have full time people in place to look after player welfare and uh, look after the, that aspect of of how we look after the young players if if um, you know if the career doesn't work out. So uh, I think as as a as a sport in general. Um, across the world, I think we've got a, a, a huge responsibility and a long way to go in terms of making sure that we protect young people. Because, you know, I, I see it here. There are, and I'm, I'm, it's, I'm sure it's very present everywhere around the world. But, but young players that are, are built up to be special, and you know, we're all guilty of looking at a player at 16, 17, and going, "Yep, he's the one. He's going to kick on. Yep, she's she's going to have a career." And by 18, 19, they're, they're not in the game and, and you see these really confused young people that that don't really um, don't really have an identity now that football's gone, uh, don't, you know, don't really have the tools to, to cope with with managing that. And, and I, it was certainly something I went through where my whole life it was, you know, I was Ben Khan football. That was that was it was tied in. That was me. That was my identity. And as a kind of 19, 18 year old where you start to realise it's not going to happen for me. It's a, it's a confusing time because you don't don't really know who you are outside of football. Yeah, so for me, my my you know, I knew I had to be in the game. I knew that I had a lot to offer to the game. And uh, once I'd once I'd kind of matured a bit and found myself, I, I really really delved into in, in, into Ben Khan, the coach, and, and invested everything. And, and I guess that that we, you, as a young young person you don't have that knowledge of how to really make the best of yourself if you don't have that leadership and mentorship around you it's really hard to know what you have to invest and how you have to conduct yourself and what sacrifices you have to make so i think once we're at a maturity level and a life understanding or a level of life understanding we we have to we have to give that back to the young players that we come across do you think as well we because I know sometimes when we're coaching, we're coaching players, but do you think we should be conscious that we're maybe also coaching the coaches of the future? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's um, <laughs> it's not it's not something that we is, is massively spoken about, but I've it's it's something that it's really hard to look at a young player who you're trying to do everything to bring them into 
you know a professional football career and 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 look at them as a as a potential coach uh, there are some that stand out and you go yep yeah, definitely going to be a coach over analytical <laughs> really empathetic <laughs> you know tactically really smart and you go yeah for sure but in in the small window that we spend with players in in their journey it's we're so heavily focused on on helping them be the best player they can be that I'm not sure I'm not sure there's necessarily room for that but I think what we can do is role model to our whole group and to everybody that we come across what a good coach is and I don't necessarily mean tactically and technically because we we all differ in that regard and that's 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 the way it should be um but I think in terms of how we treat people and what what our environment looks like and you know how how we help people and manage people and and how we make people feel I think we I think we're very conscious as a staff of of what behaviors we model not just as as coaching future coaches but for us in terms of coaching you know f- future fathers and and future future males in business and I think that that's something that we I I don't know about back in the UK but I I think we're making huge strides in Australia uh towards towards equality and I think that that doesn't mean just giving more opportunities to the women's game I think that means educating coaches to really take responsibility for the young men that we come across to help them be you know better members of society and and more respectful and we we're very very conscious of that in our environment and it's something I'm personally very passionate about you know it's a, it's a it's a it keeps you accountable when when you try and hold standards like that and you try and ask questions after every session was that was that the behavior that I'd like my son to you know to see and you know because as coaches it's very emotional when you you know you say things in the heat of the moment and you but yeah we we're, we're very mindful of trying to trying to be good role models so that the the guys that we work with will go out into society whether they're professional footballers coaches uh, shop assistants whatever they might be but we try we try and make them better people too and i know well i think you were the youngest coach in australia to hold the pro license um yeah yeah and i also saw that optus sport listed you as one of the top 10 coaches in australia who should get an a league job um yeah. i guess you know are you are you aware that there's a bit of a positive buzz around you and you know how do you carry that um look i'm uh, i'm guilty of being overly overly ambitious and i'm not the most patient person and i i know i'm young and you know i need to to bide my time but i work incredibly hard to 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 try and be the best at at what i do uh i've come very very close to three a league jobs um uh one in particular last year i was without got to be careful here led to believe i i was going to get it um uh and didn't and it it hit me hard but i i um I actually you know i actually really respect the the guy that got the job but we you know we worked together at my time at the club with him previously and he's doing a, an amazing job but i'm still a huge fan of their club and i think one you know one day that might be a good career path for me but yeah i i get frustrated when when i when i don't progress and um but but i i do appreciate that there are lots of people that would love to be in my shoes at the moment and i and i try and remember that most weeks and uh, i'm i'm definitely aware of the of the um 
you know some of the positive media and that's really nice and i'm really really thankful to the to the people that, that write those things and take an interest in my career and, and hopefully hopefully in the not too distant future i'll kick on again to the next level and, and keep doing well so final question i guess what's what's the ultimate level for you if if you can answer that where, where do you want to go yeah look i i I think in football, it's really dangerous to kind of have an end goal. Um, I think that the football world is so diverse and I, I, I think that the competition for good jobs is is so large that uh, for somebody like me that, ha- you know, I'm, I didn't have a big playing career, I, I'm not a household name, it's not easy to just walk into jobs, I think. So you have to kind of open your mind and go, right, what type of jobs would I would I be happy getting? Where would I where would I be happy working in the world? Um, I'm, I'm very settled in Australia. Uh, I, I really love the country. So I certainly at some stage in my career want to want to make a real impact in the A-League. Um, I, you know, that I'm very prepared to, to work overseas and wherever that opportunity comes. Um, I, there isn't somewhere I look at and go, I wouldn't work there. What, what, what I do know is that um, I'm, I'm very, very set in my ways and certain that I'm a, a head coach or a manager. Um, I've worked in as assistant before in the A-League. I was re- recently offered a really good assistant coach's job actually in the US for a coach and a friend I, I really like and really trust. But I, uh, I'm on my own journey, so I'm going to keep carving, carving my own path as a head coach or manager. And uh, I, where that takes me, I, I don't know, but but I, I know that I know that you know the rest of my life will be in. In, in coaching in professional football and, and I uh, want to do as well as I can and see where that takes me. That was the voice of Ben Kahn of Olympic FC. Thanks to Ben for his time and thoughts. And thanks to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, advice, interviews and much more. I'm Steph Fairbairn. See you again soon.